Let's now turn to the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading this afternoon will begin in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19, we'll read verses 15 through 21. Deuteronomy 19, beginning in verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the, in the controversy, controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So far from Deuteronomy, let's also turn to the New Testament, to the book of James. James chapter 3. You'll find James right after Hebrews. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires." Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a, little, great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. So far, the reading of God's Word. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we also turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of Christian doctrine and life, and also the confession of this church And we find ourselves in Lord's Day 43, or I should say, uh, we we don't really find ourselves there, you're you're elsewhere in the catechism in your usual uh, journey through it, Uh, but I've chosen to focus for this afternoon on Lord's Day 43. There the question is, 
what is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever been caught in a web of lies? You know how it is. You tell one lie, right? Maybe even something very trivial. You didn't need to lie about it. It was a stupid thing to lie about in the first place. But then you get questioned on it, and so you have to cover it up with additional lies to cover up, cover up the initial lies. And pretty soon the lies take on a life of their own, and you have to keep telling more and more just to sustain the story that you're building until it becomes more and more unmanageable Uh, that you start to feel that your entire life has turned into one great lie. All because of one trivial lie at the beginning. It's amazing, isn't it? Lying is so native to our hearts that no one ever needs to teach a child to lie. They just start doing it. I remember as a child, uh, I've always uh, had, among my many weaknesses, one of my gifts has been I always know how to come up with creative solutions to uh, problems, sometimes problems that didn't exist. Uh, but I remember as a child, my brother and I were doing some project and we needed a piece of string and we uh, couldn't find my mom's great knitting chest. She had this amazing pirate chest full of all sorts of yarn and needles and good stuff. But we couldn't find it and so I thought, where can we get some string? And I, I remember we said, ah, oh. I said, I bet we can find some in the garage. We can just grab a shoelace from the garage. Uh, and, and there in the corner of the garage, you know, the, 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 the pile of shoes that just accumulates because nobody uses them. And so we pulled uh, one of those shoes and pulled the shoelace and perfect, problem solved. Well, apparently it turned out that evening they weren't uh, old discarded shoes. Uh, and suddenly my mom comes around asking what happened to the shoelaces in this particular shoe? Uh, asking each of us kids and uh, no, I have no idea what happened to that shoelace. It just like it just vanished, right? Uh, you know, the whole, you hope the story's just going to blow over by itself. Uh, and my mom wasn't buying the the whole shoelaces disappear by themselves story, uh, though it seemed reasonable at the time. And so she started asking us kids one by one, "Did you take the shoelace?" And uh, when it got to my turn, um, bear in mind I was a small child. Um, <laughs> this wasn't like last year. Uh, but I said to her with a straight face, no. And then I got to my younger brother's turn, and, and he said, yeah, John took it. Uh, so, uh, well, after we got a good spanking for that, we got exiled to the garage to reinstall the shoelace. Uh, and before we went, my mom sat us down, and she told us to think about the fact that the Bible says that liars will be thrown into hell. It's a very memorable night. Uh, but the truth is my mom was correct. Uh, Revelation 21, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So I ask again, have you ever told 
a lie. Well, the truth is most of us do it without even thinking twice about it, without oftentimes without even realizing it. Consider this, uh, your boss asks you to do something, and you know how it is, you, you, you keep putting it off. Uh, and then he asks you later, did you do that thing that I asked you to do? And uh, what would be the, the, the correct answer would be, no, I'm sorry, I've been putting it off. Uh, that would be the truth. But what do you say? You say, oh no, you're right, I, I don't think I have done that yet. Now, is that a lie? What well, is? It's a lie because you're feigning surprise. You're pretending to be surprised when you know perfectly well you haven't done it. You haven't forgotten to do it. You just put it off. Uh, And so it's lying. It's presenting the truth in a more favorable light for yourself, but it's not entirely accurate. The truth is, most of us lie without even realizing it. It comes second nature. Sometimes it's as simple as just rearranging the facts in a way that is more favorable to ourselves. Sometimes leaving a little bit out. Sometimes telling part of the story, but not the whole story. Uh, Using the right words or or letting people fill in the blanks uh, in a way that we know is misleading. You think of Joseph's brothers, right? They didn't tell a single lie. They just took Joseph's coat, tore it up, threw some blood on it, and took it to their dad. Dad, what happened to this? They didn't tell a single lie, and yet, of course, they did. Even if they said nothing at all that was untrue, factually, they deliberately led their father to the wrong conclusions. What we want to recognize as we think about the ninth commandment is that our God detests lying. He detests it. Proverbs 6, verse uh, 16, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Seven things the Lord hates, and lying makes the list twice in that proverb. Our our goal whenever we come to examine one of the Ten Commandments uh, should always be to open our ears to listen to what our Father God is telling us and to take the time as we meditate on His Word to allow Him to show us where these sins exist in our lives. Sins which He detests. Sins which Christ died to save us from to find out where they might exist that we might the more diligently put them to death. Uh, And the whole goal for us as we do that, as we look at the commandments, is so that we may draw nearer to the throne of grace, that we can see the sin that we are saved from uh, and also recognize that having set us free, He also calls us to live free, also free from the bondage of lies. Uh, So there's three questions we want to work through this afternoon as we work through this issue. Number one, why this issue of lying matters so much to God. Number two, how we might still be giving room to this sin in our lives. And number three, how as we draw nearer to Christ, 
how we can learn to reflect God's commitment to truth, integrity, and honesty, and and trustworthiness. Now, uh, something that should be said at the outset as we deal with this particular commandment uh, is that the commandment is specifically about giving false testimony about your neighbor. Uh, which is a bit more narrow than just lying in general. There are examples in Scripture uh, where, where some have told lies and were commended for it because they were uh, working in the service of the truth. You think of the, uh, the Hebrew midwives who lied to Pharaoh about why they weren't putting the infants to death as commanded. And they were commended uh, for it. That's not what the commandment is about. It's lying against your neighbor. Lying at the... Uh, speaking at the expense of the truth and the expense of your neighbor. And it has to do specifically with the context of the courtroom. We read earlier from Deuteronomy 19, uh, and it shows the importance, that passage shows the importance of eyewitnesses. Uh, Today we have camera phones, we have fingerprints, we have DNA evidence, but in that day they didn't have any of those things, and so the, eye, the, the role of the eyewitness was that much more critical. A person could live or die based on the testimony of eyewitnesses. Uh, and so a false witness would in effect be a murderer. They killed someone based on their false witness. And so the law of God required two, or ideally even three, eyewitnesses in order to incriminate a person. If the testimony of the two seemed weak, or if they had a particular bias, the judge could require a third witness. The passage also talks about the role of the judge. His job was to inquire diligently, not just to accept whatever the eyewitnesses said, but to ask hard questions, to get to the facts, to make sure the story's straight. Uh, And if it was found out that one of the eyewitnesses was lying, then the law required that the false witness receive the same punishment that they intended for the one about whom they lied. Uh, So if it was a capital punishment case, say blasphemy, then the false witness was to be put to death. And and the law is strict here. It says, do not have pity on the false witness. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. False witnesses have a way of of manipulating, of getting people to feel sorry for them. Uh, The law requires you shall not pity the false witness. Uh, And the law also required, uh, elsewhere in in the book of Deuteronomy, the law also required that if a person was condemned, then the first person to throw the stone must be the witness themselves. Uh, The reason for this is uh, it's very easy to say condemning words about someone and to detach yourself from the consequences of what those words do. Uh, But the law required that you be well aware of, of the, the effect that your words will have. Uh, you, you may not say anything about anyone unless you are prepared to also deal out the consequences of those words. Uh, so the ninth commandment really is an extension of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, having to do specifically with a certain kind of murder. And we need to recognize, words have the power to kill. 
Words have the power to kill. Uh, and what we, re- what we need to recognize is that's not only true in the context of the courtroom. Uh, just look at the rise of teen suicides in our day that come as the result of cyberbullying. I know we teach our kids that sticks and stones can't break my bones, uh, or can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And there's a sense in which that's good. We should teach our children to be thick-skinned, to ignore empty insults. Uh, But that certainly does not mean that, that we should be naive about the damage that words can do. Uh, the truth is, destructive and lying words can kill uh, and, and can do great damage. God's word is not naive about that, and so this entire commandment is devoted to that reality. We also read from James chapter 3, uh, which talks about the destructive power of the unbridled tongue. Uh, we can easily say, oh, it's just words, it's just words. But James tells us, no, a single destructive word can have such, uh, such destructive power like a spark that sets an entire forest on fire. Lies can take off. They can take a, light, a life of their own and, and do incredible and irreversible damage. Even after you try to clean up after them, they've done the damage. It can't be undone. Uh, so also can vicious, destructive words. Now, how many of you have uh, had something said to you that you've never been able to forget? Even if the person's apologized later, yet you still cannot forget it. Now, how many of you have said something to someone you love in a moment of anger that has never entirely gone away, even after you have apologized for it? Our words can hurt damage, and even destroy, and in fact, they do so quite easily. There's a story told of a woman in the 16th century uh, who was known to be a slanderer and a gossip, Uh, and during a sermon on the Ninth Commandment, I don't know if the story's true, but uh, during a sermon on the Ninth Commandment, she was convicted of this reality, and so she came to the preacher and confessed her, her pattern of lying to him, uh, and, and the preacher, of course, assured her of God's mercy, God's forgiveness for, for liars and gossipers, but then he also asked her to do something. He told her, go into the city, go into the market, and, and buy me a freshly killed chicken, uh, and uh, bring it back to me, and on the way back, would you please also pluck its feathers? Uh, she was rather perplexed at that, and, but she, she did it. Uh, and when she arrived back at his house quite some distance from the city, she presented him with the clean chicken. Uh, and the preacher said to her, thank you, now go and retrace your steps and please go collect all the feathers that you plucked. Uh, she looked at him in despair and, and said, well, Reverend, that's impossible. I, I just tossed them away. I threw them uh, every which direction and the wind carried them who knows where. Yes, said the minister, and that's what lies and gossip are like. After you've scattered them, there is no way you can gather them and collect them all again. The Apostle James speaks just as seriously about this, how easily we scatter, throwing to the wind, lies and gossip and destructive words without even giving it a thought. 
Uh, James says, if there's not a man or, uh, he says, there's not a man or woman on earth who's fully able to tame the tongue. If anyone ever did have that level of self-control, he says that would be a truly a perfect man or woman, able to control their entire body. And how true this is, who among us can claim to never have spoken a careless word? Likewise, the Lord Jesus teaches us, doesn't he, that on, on the final day, we will have to give account for every careless word we speak. You think about that. That's, that's all your phone conversations. That's uh, all of your uh, text messages. That's your Facebook. That's your Twitter. Uh, even that's the words that you've spoken in private uh, to yourself. Every careless word. Who can, who can even track Every careless word we've spoken, and yet God knows, and God does not forget. So the the destructive power of our tongues is a window, isn't it, into the perverted condition of our hearts. We were created to love God. We heard that this morning. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And our words show how far we've fallen from that created good. And when we use our words to even destroy our neighbor, what we demonstrate is really not just a lack of love for our neighbor, but really behind that, a lack of love for our God. If we destroy the one who's made in the image of God... Are we not vandalizing the image of the God who he represents, who he uh, reflects? Uh, false testimony destroys the honor, the reputation, uh, and sometimes even the life of people made in God's image. First John 4 verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, not, or whom he has seen cannot possibly love God whom he hasn't seen. If we are capable of casually and carelessly uh, speaking evil words of others, what we're really demonstrating uh, is our lack of honor, lack of love for God. And now the Catechism breaks this down for us, gives us some specifics of ways in which we do this. Uh, in, in which we violate this commandment. In the first place, we are not to give false testimony about others. Now, this obviously would include perjury in a court setting, but it also includes spreading lies about others in an, uh, outside of the formal court setting, as well as even withholding truth that might defend or promote your, your neighbor's uh, honor. The Catechism also talks about twisting of words. This is when we take someone's words out of context and and, uh, use them to make them sound like they said something that they didn't actually say. And think of how how prolific this is in politics and in in news media, how easy it is to take something out of context just to make it uh, sound uh, like something that that we can all uh, hate and detest. It's trying to put someone in the worst possible light, and, and it's, it's deliberately prompting misunderstanding. And we do this. We do this to each other as well. This includes uh, paraphrasing someone in a way that they did not intend. Uh, you can usually tell that this is being done when you ask, you know, wow, is that really what that person said? And, and they say, well, it's basically what they said. Basically. 
which means I'd really like you to think that's what they said, but that's really not exactly what they said. Uh, This can be done by wrongly paraphrasing someone, or it can be done by simply changing a word or two, or, or taking someone's words out of the context in which they meant them. And the thing is, very often, lies like these, they tend to have a grain of truth. There's usually a grain of truth, which makes makes it very easy for us to pretend that our paraphrase is accurate, or even to believe for ourselves that our paraphrase is accurate, to, to read someone in the worst possible light. This is particularly easy to do when we already don't like the person or already distrust uh, the person. So we're already disposed to see them in the worst possible light. uh, And we actually believe the version of events that we tell ourselves. The Catechism also talks about gossip. How many of you ever gossip? Uh, gossip is it's sharing potentially damaging information about someone that others don't need to know. And did you hear about what so-and-so did? That's gossip. Uh, and it doesn't even need to be false information for it to be gossip. It might be true and still inappropriate and unhelpful to share Sometimes we do this with a righteous-sounding pretext. You know, I'm sharing this so that you can pray for them, uh, sort of thing. Or, I'm sharing this because I really want to help them, and I don't know how to help them, and so I'm telling everyone about what they're doing so I can learn how to help them. Uh, that, that is gossip. Uh, one of the ways we can uh, measure this is simply by asking ourselves, would I have shared that information if the person was present? Usually not. Or, would I have shared this if the Lord Jesus was present with me uh, at the time? And bear in mind, he is. Uh, The Catechism also speaks of condemning or joining in condemning someone rashly and unheard. This means condemning them without knowing all of the details. Proverbs 18 verse 17 says, The one who states his case Uh, at first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Again, you only have to look at the news, right, to see this very kind of thing happening, uh, where an allegation is as good as proof. It's treated like the same thing, and people's lives and careers can be destroyed on the basis of an allegation, even if it's completely untrue. And no matter how tempting it is, Christians, uh, Christians of all people should be the most cautious about this sort of thing. You think of uh, the way the Me Too hashtag has shaken up the, the Western world in the last couple of years and, and certainly has been a divine judgment on those institutions uh, that have tolerated and excused sexual abuse. But still, we as Christians must never rush along to condemn rashly or unheard uh, before the accused has had the opportunity to present his case and the details have been heard. Uh, Let's not forget it was our Lord Jesus who was crucified on the basis of false witnesses. I recently saw one writer for the magazine Teen Vogue. I don't recommend ever getting the magazine. Uh, But the writer uh, wrote this. uh, If some innocent men's reputations have to take a hit in the process of undoing the patriarchy, then that is a price I am willing to pay. 
Now, we can sympathize with a desire to, to, to take down evil and sexually perverse men who are in positions of power. That's, that's a cause with which uh, we Christians also share. Uh, and it has happened that men in positions of power have been excused and tolerated uh, for, for a long time. It happens even, sadly, within the church. However, that is never an excuse for condemning rashly or unheard. This is true also within the church, even though it has often been the case that sexual abuse has been swept under the rug and pretended like it didn't exist. there is a temptation for the church in our day to go along with the, the, the culture in condemning rashly and unheard. The elders in particular are to learn from the instruction given to the judges in, in Deuteronomy 19 uh, to, to inquire diligently, to do their work patiently. Uh, we may never show partiality either to, the, to, the, to those in power or to those in positions of, of vulnerability. We may not show partiality even where there's emotional pressure to do so. Our allegiance to the truth should always make us cautious in delivering judgment. It may never be that those who are accused and condemned by the church ultimately find themselves vindicated by God and we stand like Job's friends being rebuked for falsely condemning. Our emotions, our prejudices in either direction may not be the arbiters of truth. Uh, Rather, we are to be diligent in seeking out the truth uh, and persistent and relentless in doing so, uh, no matter how many people in our culture might condemn us for showing that kind of commitment to truth. The Bible also speaks about flattery. It's a huge category of lying that that the Scriptures have much to say about. Uh, So, if gossip is saying something about someone behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face, flattery is the reverse. It's saying something to their face that you wouldn't say about them behind their back. It's telling them things they like to hear, but not with the purpose of building them up, but rather with the purpose of either using them to obtain something you desire or destroying them. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Uh, Flattery is like a a net or a trap because you deliberately make a person feel uh, more comfortable than they ought to feel, uh, particularly in your presence. So they reveal things uh, because they trust you, because they think you have a high regard for them, and you use that to then destroy them. Uh, We flatter when we're either trying to use someone or trying to destroy them. Now, this is different, of course, from simply seeking to encourage someone. You can use upbuilding words and and constructive uh, criticism. You can soften your rebukes with kindness. That's not lying to do so. The the Scriptures command us, in fact, to do so. Uh, Flattery is not the same as kindness, uh, but is rather telling lies, buttering someone up, in order to get something from them or set them up for failure. Well, brothers and sisters, here's, here's the big idea. 
Our God is a God of truth, and he hates and despises every word that comes from malice or the desire to cause harm to our neighbor. Uh, In fact, Scripture teaches us that lying is Satan's native language. It's his mother tongue. Uh, The devil introduced sin into this world by means of a lie. And the Lord Jesus once said even to the Pharisees uh, that Satan has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So flattery and gossip and lying are satanic and demonic. And and they are utterly detested by God. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. And so then the question is, uh, we've seen now why God detests lying. Uh, So the question is, since God so hates it, how can we put it to death in our lives? And how can we begin to reflect God's character of trustworthiness and commitment to the truth? Well, to answer that, the first thing we need to know is the gospel. Uh, the words my mother spoke to me uh, that I mentioned earlier are very true. Uh, God hates liars, and all liars will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's true. But the gospel is also true, that Christ took the place of liars when he went to the cross, even though Christ himself was the very embodiment of truth and faithfulness. He died the death that liars deserve to die. Uh, He was condemned to death on the basis of false witnesses, and he did that so that liars like you and me could receive God's forgiveness and be brought back to God's truth. I hope that uh, in the few minutes that we've spent even just reflecting on this commandment, uh, you've a tender enough heart to recognize where some of these things exist also in your lives. Uh, To see how, as James says, your tongue uh, reveals the condition of your heart. Uh, But now, brothers and sisters, confess that sin to God. Confess that, repent of it, and recognize that God sent Jesus Christ to die for liars like you. Uh, The the prophet Isaiah, when he saw a vision of God on his throne, cried out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I pray, brothers and sisters, that that's your confession as well. Not just that your brothers or sisters are liars, but that you are a liar. Uh, That you recognize that Christ died for your sin of lying and self-deception. Uh, The the sin that flows so freely from your own heart, as it also does from mine. Uh, Christ died for liars like you and me, and that means that we who confess our lying and our deceit and turn to Christ will not be thrown into the lake of fire, though we deserve it, but instead can and will be received by God in love and favor because of the sacrifice of Christ. Christ once said, uh, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean, but rather what comes out of it. Uh, He said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. 
Think about it. Christ spoke those words knowing that he had come precisely to save those very same perverse, corrupted, defiled people. He is the only one who can make defiled sinners clean. And he makes us clean, not only clean in the sight of God, but also sends his spirit into our lives already here and now so that as we humble ourselves under the word of God, we can also learn how to put that lying and deception to death. To begin to live as a people who are not just set free, but also living free. Uh, As we are welcomed into the company and favor of the God who is truth, the God whose faithfulness embodied, uh, he also calls us and teaches us to reflect that truth and faithfulness. So brothers and sisters, let me call you and urge you to renew your commitment to reflecting the truth and faithfulness of God who has rescued you to put your lying and your deception to death. Uh, the exhortation uh, regarding uh, the, if you think of regarding the, uh, the uh, eighth commandment is let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather work with his hands to, to give. Uh, so there is also an opposite for lying. Uh, let him who lies, uh, you certainly can't gather up all the feathers that you've ever scattered. It's impossible. But let him who lies be committed to the truth of God. And also where there is lying that needs to be undone, where you're aware of lies that you've told that you haven't corrected, show your honest repentance by going and correcting them. Whether it's five years, ten years, or twenty years later, let it be corrected. Uh, Let that idol be broken by shattering it before the throne of God. Correct the sin. That's a hard step to do, but a necessary step in undoing the lies we tell. Uh, And pray. Pray to God that he would still show you where there may yet be lying or deceitfulness or malice that still needs dealing with. Uh, Pray for God for the power of the Spirit to put all lying to death. Now you think of the prayer of Agur in Proverbs 30, verse 8, uh, where he says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Pray every day that God would do the same for you. And finally, brothers and sisters, come near to the God of truth in his word every day and in worship. Uh, There is nothing that will sanctify you from uh, the the guilt of lying. Uh, Nothing will sanctify you like coming near the presence of God every single day. And like Isaiah, as you cast your vision up towards God, you will recognize, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Uh, you, you will know how detestable lying is, but you will also know how good and precious the truth is. The Lord Jesus taught us through the gospel, uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How good then, and how precious and valuable is the truth by which we know our God, and how important it is then to guard and uphold that truth. Amen.